Friends, good morning and welcome to you. Whether you're watching live with us at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning or some other time during the week, we are so glad to have you join. This morning, we have a special treat that comes every Advent season as we celebrate our Lessons in Carol service. Now, the Lessons and Carols of this service tell not only the story of Christmas, but the story of redemption. That God has come to save a people walking in darkness, a broken and hurting people to whom the great light of life has shined. And so I want to invite you to join with us and to remember that great story this morning or whenever it is that you're watching. Before we get started, go ahead and say hello over in the text box. Let us know who you're watching the service with this morning. And if at any time you need prayer during the service, you can click the request prayer button down below. And now as we begin worship, let's prepare our hearts. Close your eyes, take a deep breath, and join with me in preparation. in darkness have seen a great light those who have lived in a land of deep darkness on them a light has shined jesus said i am the light of the world the one who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life thanks be to god for, for sending us the light of christ. christ we light the fourth candle of advent to remind us that jesus is the light of the world the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 15 and 17 through 19. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, Where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. God said, Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you gave me is a companion. She gave me fruit from the tree, and yes, I ate it. God said to the woman, What is that you that you've done? The serpent seduced me, she said, and I ate. God told the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed. Cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals. Cursed to slink on your belly and eat dirt all your life. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head, he'll wound his heel. He told the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from, don't eat from this tree. The very ground is cursed because of you. Getting food from the ground will be as painful as having babies is for your wife. You'll be working in pain all your life long. The ground will sprout thorns and weeds. You'll get your food the hard way, planting and tilling and harvesting, sweating in the fields, from dawn to dusk, until you return to the ground yourself, dead and buried. You started out as dirt, you'll end up as dirt.
Friends, in Advent, we hear the call, prepare the way of the Lord. One of the ways that we prepare our hearts to receive the King is by being honest about who we are and about how deeply our hearts long for his coming. And so in words and in silence, let us confess together. O promised Christ, we are a world at war. Our peace depends on your coming. We are a sinful people. Our pardon depends on your coming. Father, we are full of good intentions, but weak at keeping promises. Our only hope of doing God's will is that you should come and help us do it. Lord Christ, word made flesh, our world waits for your peace, for your pardon, and for your grace. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, this is the good news of the Advent season. Forgiveness of sin and newness of life has come to you in Jesus Christ our Lord. God has come to his people setting us free to love and serve the world in the name of our Redeemer. And so, beloved, I declare to you that in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. 
Thanks be to God. Genesis 22:15 through 18. The angel of God spoke from heaven a second time to Abraham. I swear, God's sure word, because you have gone through with this and have not refused to give me your son, your dear, dear son, I'll bless you. Oh, how I'll bless you. And I'll make sure that your children flourish like stars in the sky, like sand on the beaches, and your descendants will defeat their enemies. All nations on earth will find themselves blessed through your descendants because you obeyed me. Prince of wholeness. His rolling 
authority authority will grow and there will be no limits to the fullness he brings he'll rule from the historic historic david's throne over that promised kingdom he'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living beginning now and lasting always the zeal of god of the angels armies will do all this child is born unto us a son is given unto us a son is given for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given unto us a son is given Isaiah 11, 1-9 A green shoot will sprout from Jesse's stump, from his roots a budding branch. The life-giving Spirit of God will hover over him, the Spirit that brings wisdom and understanding, the Spirit that gives direction and builds strength, the Spirit that instills knowledge and fear of God. Fear of God will be all his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances won't decide on the basis of hearsay. He'll judge the needy by what is right, render decisions on earth's poor with justice. His words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning he'll pull on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. The wolf will romp with the lamb, the leopard sleep with the kid, Calf and lion will eat from the same trough, and a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze in the same pasture, their calves and cubs grow up together, and the lion eats straw like the ox. The nursing child will crawl over rattlesnake dens, the toddler stick his hand down the hole of a serpent. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. The whole earth will be brimming with knowing God alive, and a living God knowledge of God ocean deep ocean wide.
Luke 1, 26-38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name, Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever. No end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy, Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son old as she is? Everyone called her barren and here she is six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. Then the angel left her. Oh Lord, how shall I meet you?
Hey there, all souls. What a unique Sunday for me to be joining with you all this morning. We're just a few days away from Christmas here, and this Sunday is called our Lessons and Carols Sunday, which is one of our traditions here at All Souls, the week of Christmas. And now, if I'm being honest with you, before my husband and I moved to Georgia in 2016 and started attending All Souls, I had never heard of a Lessons and Carols service. So when I first heard about this, I was intrigued. I, I feel like I grew up in the church and I've essentially crowd surfed over a variety of different denominations throughout the country and never having heard of this important liturgical piece, I did whatever I do whenever I hear something that I don't know about, I googled it. So Lessons and Carols, also known as the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols, is a service of Christian worship traditionally celebrated on or around Christmas Eve. The story of the fall of humanity, the promise of the Messiah, and the birth of Jesus is told in nine short Bible readings or lessons from Genesis, the prophetic books, and the Gospels. And this is interspersed with the singing of Christmas carols, hymns, and choir anthems. It was first performed or celebrated on Christmas Eve in 1880 at a church in Cornwall, England. So all this information got me curious, and as all good Google searches do, I found myself down various rabbit trails uh, online looking at the origin of Christmas music and the origin of Christmas songs. And while some of the first Christmas hymns can be traced back to the 4th century Romans, um, many of the carols that we know today were published from the late 1500s and really only gained popularity in the mid to late 1800s. Now, all history considered, 150 years is not really all that long ago. Listening to Christmas music has become more than just something that happens when you're driving in a car or decorating your tree. Christmas music seems like it is an ingrained part of this tradition of the season. Or if you joined us last week and heard Mike's confession, maybe it's a part of your daily life beginning in August. These songs are a part of the tradition, but this year, for me anyway, so much of tradition has been broken, absent, different. And those songs offer a nod to what things have been in the past, and I'm leaning into the reminders of the future when things will get better. Our passage this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, and it also contains a song. Some could, in fact, say that this is one of the very first Christmas songs. So before we jump in, let's pray. Lord, open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear for you what you have in store for us in your word. Reveal yourself through this in your mighty name. Amen. Our passage this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. I invite you to grab your Bible or follow along with the Bible tab on your screen. I'll be reading from my good old trusty New Living Translation. My friends, hear the scripture of God. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months, then went back to her own home. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage of scripture is divided into two parts that we're going to walk through together. We first have the visit between Mary and Elizabeth, where we hear this unique perspective of a king breaking into the world. The second part of the passage is the song that Mary sings, and we see this unique perspective of what things might look like when the king comes and turns the world upside down. Now, if the beginning of what I read seems like we jumped into the middle of a story, you're right. We start here in the middle of Luke chapter 1, where the unwed teenage girl Mary has just received news from the angel Gabriel that she will become pregnant and give birth. If we read just a few verses up, we know that Mary is as confused at this news as we are jumping into the middle of the story. It's almost impossible to read this passage and break away from your own lens and worldview. But I encourage you for a moment to think of Mary in a different way. We look at the images of the nativity and we often see her clad in blue robes, light skin, lighter hair, an angelic glow surrounding her head. But in reality, she is of Middle Eastern descent. She has olive skin. She has dark eyes. She is a young Jewish girl. We read that Mary is a virgin, pledged to be married. The reality is that she is a 14-year-old who is unwed. We hear phrases describing her like humble and lowly. And the reality is that she is a poor servant girl at the bottom of the peasant section of society. She is unknown. And she has a vision and is told that the Holy One, the one that her people and the world have been waiting, longing, and pining for, the king that Israel has been anticipating, the one who will fulfill the prophecies, she is going to be his mom. I cannot imagine how that felt for her to have that burden laid on her. Now, part of the news that the angel tells her is that her relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. I think we often gloss over this part of the story because it feels like less Christmas, but it's important to notice. I cannot imagine a time in her life up to this point where Mary must have felt more alone and confused. But the angel gives her that connection. The angel tells her that Elizabeth, her relative, an old woman, is also with child and in her sixth month. Elizabeth's pregnancy is not to, to help Mary, but it's really to show her that she's not alone and that God indeed can do impossible things. You see, Elizabeth was way past childbearing age. We're talking post-menopausal in her 60s. Elizabeth should not be pregnant. It would truly have to be an act of God, a, a miracle for her to be able to bear a child. Now, if you have ever been pregnant or been around someone who is or has been pregnant, let me tell you the need for a community of moms. People who have been going through what you're going through as a pregnant person, it's huge. Constantly sharing experiences is a normal part of life if you are about to give birth. And especially when you find out that someone is walking through a similar experience that you have. I imagine it's similar for somebody who's gone through a hard medical diagnosis or maybe has gone through a loss. It's, it's human nature to find people who understand our experience. And for Mary, Elizabeth was that. But that's not the only miraculous thing that God does for Mary through Elizabeth. We see at the beginning of verse 41 that when Mary greets Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit fills her and the child leaps for joy. Now, the leaping of a child in the womb is not uncommon in the sixth month of pregnancy. There is still enough room for the baby to roll around when they hear outside voices. But what is uncommon is the Holy Spirit filling Elizabeth. Now, without more than a simple greeting from Mary, the Holy Spirit comes into Elizabeth and all at once she knows the miracle that is happening. Now, it's important to remember, we don't even know yet at this point if Mary is pregnant. The story is so familiar that we assume that Mary becomes pregnant upon Gabriel's declaration to her, and maybe she does, but we don't actually know that. So by God's grace alone, Elizabeth understands exactly what is happening. And the miracle 
of pregnancy for an unwed virgin becomes a little bit more believable because the miracle of pregnancy for an old barren woman. And those two miracles are part of a much bigger miracle of God redeeming the world through his son. Everything that this passage is pointing towards is not simply a baby, but a king, the king, creator, Messiah, getting ready to turn the world upside down. Christmas is not just about the birth of a baby. It's about a king entering the world and establishing his kingdom. So our call as Christians at Christmas turns from the celebration of a newborn to the upheaval of a world through the arrival of a ruler to fulfill the prophecy and to make the world what it was supposed to be in the first place. Now, the second part of the passage here has a shift. The shift is something that the author Luke does because he wants us to hear the most important thing. And he wants us to hear it from the most unlikely source. He wants us to hear it from Mary. Mary, this little 14-year-old poor unwed girl, is called blessed. Now, she's not just a regular everyday girl, but instead sets an example for us today of what trust, service, and surrender to God can look like. So often, our leaders look like us. We follow the lead and example of men with pedigrees and education and proven track records. But that is not how God chooses to come into the world. The God of the temple, the Lord of the prophets, the Lord of the angels and the priests and the kings and the law, the creator and the sustainer of all things, the one who has come to make all things new is in the womb of a 14-year-old girl. And not only that, he, he chooses to come into the world as a baby, arguably the most vulnerable space that any human can occupy. He became vulnerable in order to reconcile himself with his people. This vulnerability shows the true love of God, and it shows the only path towards real relationship with him and with each other. But it is our human nature to run from this kind of vulnerability. We lean into our own darkness and steep in our own selves, clinging to any semblance of power and control that we might have. For if our world turned upside down, we would lose everything. We put up barriers to protect ourselves from pain and hurt and anger and embarrassment. We see this from the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden hiding themselves from God. And frankly, God has all the authority to keep these barriers. But instead, he chooses to enter the world he created as a weak, needy, finite human. God is making himself dependent on the care of a teenager. I think we forget that sometimes, right? After the nativity is packed away, Jesus is a baby. We tend to fast forward from the Christmas and birth to 30-something Jesus, but y'all, Jesus was an infant. I imagine there was at least one night with Mary and Joseph laying in bed, exhausted from new parenthood without family or friends or the meal train. And there's a baby Jesus lying in a cradle with a blowout in his diaper. And Mary is bleeding and leaking and weeping because she isn't sure if she can do it anymore. It's not disrespectful. That's the humanity of Jesus. It's messy. It's real. Humanity experiences real pain. And we have ways of coping and putting up barriers in our own lives. But the love from God through the gift of his son shows us true vulnerability. I'm so, so thankful that God chose to come to us this way. And I'm so thankful that Mary did not run from it. She might be overwhelmed that the Lord of the universe would humble himself and come to the world through her. But everyone in this story is leaping for joy. 
The last part of our passage is the song, the music that we were talking about earlier. In many Bible translations, it's called the Magnificat, Mary's Song of Praise. The word Magnificat means glorifies. And what Mary does here is she leans into the praise and the glorification of God and what he has done and what he will do. She talks about herself and her identity. The irony of the God of the universe using her in his story is not lost on her. She sees and she knows the reality and the scandal that comes with it. Yet at the deep core of who she is, Mary is making much of God. In verse 47 here, we see Mary magnifying God. And now when I say magnifying, I don't mean magnification like a magnified glass or a microscope that takes something very small and makes it seeable. No, this magnification is like a telescope looking at Jupiter. It's something massive and glorious and beautiful, but far away and seemingly invisible. And what the telescope does is it helps to magnify it so that we can see its true splendor and glory. And Mary knows that there is something here that the world has yet to see. In her song, she gives us the figurative description of God's mercy and powerful acts. She leads us into a future of what it will look like as Jesus enters the world and his promise to flip it upside down. He scatters the proud. He will bring down the mighty. He will exalt the humble. He will fill the hungry. He will send the rich away empty. He fulfills his promises. Because the king comes to gather the humble, the broken, the lowly, the needy, the sick, the poor, the hungry, the lost. He gathers those who need a savior those who recognize that they are not sufficient within themselves. And if 2020 has taught me anything, it's taught me that I am not sufficient in my own right. I need community. I need accountability. Uh, I cannot do it on my own. I need a savior. And this, my friends, is one of the most beautiful truths of Christianity. And that the gospel meets us in both the place of pride and of shame. That God is merciful to us to crush the things that we think are secure so that we can cling desperately to his saving grace. Uh, the righteousness of Christ coming to earth as fully God and fully man is how we come to experience the love of Jesus. And where his mercy meets us in our need, we become like Mary and our hearts sing. This, this is the song of Christmas. He came for the needy. But if you're anything like me, you try so hard not to be needy. We try to be good enough to be people who don't need a savior. We sing not because we're full of joy, but because everyone else around us is singing. And if we don't sing, then we might look bad. Our hearts rarely sing this song because we don't want to need him. We're doing just fine. And even if we're not, we tell ourselves that we are fine. And we just need to try a little harder. But instead of being honest with God, we become exhausted, weary, and tired, broken down, and needy. And we find ourselves vulnerable and in need of him even more. And he meets us there. God gives grace to the humble. He died for our sins, and he was born to set our captive hearts free. Let your soul find rest in him, so that we can sing of the world turned upside down and live in the salvation that he supplies. My friends, welcome to the gospel. Amen. Two, one through seven. 
About that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from the Galilean town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's town, for the census. As a descendant of David, he had to go there. He went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the hostel. There were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angel stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, Don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has been born in Joseph's town, a Savior who is Messiah and Master. This is what you are to look for a baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once, the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please Him. As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the sheep herders talked it over. Let's go to Bethlehem as fast as we can. 
and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. We've come to the portion of our service where we give worship to God through our tithes and our offerings. Will you join me in our offering prayer? Compassionate God, we offer you these gifts as sign of our time and labor. Receive them with our gratitude that through us, all people may know the riches of your love. Amen. Remember, you can participate through the offering online by clicking on the Give tab on your screen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem Village, Judah Territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on pilgrimage to worship him. When word of the inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. Not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote plainly, it is you. Bethlehem in Judah's land, no longer bring it up the rear, from you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were. He got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, go find this child, leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word and I'll join you at once in, worship, in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They were, had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. They then opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Friends, and now as we come to the table, please join me in prayer. With joy, we come to you, gracious God, creator of heaven and earth. You made us in your image, and when we fail to keep covenant with you, you never failed in your promises to us. In this meal, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who opened to us the way to freedom and salvation and hope and in whose coming we wait with expectancy. And so as we gather at this table, we lift our voices with all the heavenly hosts saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to whom his favor rests. Amen. Friends, the Lord be with you. Now lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It's hard to imagine that in the familiar stories that we've just heard, that it's the, the story of the king who was laid to rest in a manger is the same story of the king who is laid to rest in a tomb and the tomb couldn't hold him. And yet in this meal, we remember that the king of glory is the one who was born to us, Emmanuel, who emptied himself of his divinity to become with us. And so, the Apostle Paul reminds us how on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together in an upper room. And after he'd given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, 
This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he poured it out, saying, This cup is the blood of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take all of you and drink of it. And whenever you do, do so in remembrance of me. And so it is that whenever we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we are proclaiming his death until he comes again. And so, friends, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Come, eat and drink. Remember and rejoice in the glory of our King. Amen. The Word was first. The Word present to God, God present to the Word. The Word was God, in readiness for Him from day one. Everything was created through Him, nothing, not one thing came into being without Him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The lifelight blazed out of the darkness. The darkness could not put it out. There once was a man, his name John, sent by God to point out the way to the lifelight. He came to show people where to look, who to believe in. But John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The lifelight was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him, and yet they didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, whoever believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made into their true selves, their child of God's selves. These are the God begotten, not flesh begotten, not blood begotten, not sex begotten. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw it all with our own eyes. One of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching, or silent flocks by night behold throughout the heavens there shone a holy
And now, friends, go in peace. Watch and pray, for Advent is the promise of the King who is coming, who has come, and who will come again to set our captive hearts free. May God the Father, who loved the world so much that he sent his only Son, give you grace to walk in his peace. May God the Son, who comes to us as Redeemer and Judge, reveal to you the path from darkness to light. May God the Holy Spirit, by whose working in the Virgin Mary conceive the Lord Jesus Christ, help you bear the fruits of holiness. Thanks be to God. Amen.